chapter 16, while you're turning there, um, let me ask you a question. Have you ever, uh, have you ever pursued something only to have the door closed? Something that you maybe really wanted, you know, something that you had prayed about, something that you had pursued, something that really interested you, and, you know, you were, you were excited about it, and as you began to, as you began to pursue, the door closed. It's a disappointing place to be. It's a disappointing place when doors are closed. In Acts chapter 16, um, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see the Apostle Paul and Silas going to head out on their second missionary journey, and we're going to see that uh, one of the things that they're met with is a closed door. And what does that mean? What does it mean when God closes a door? Uh, how should we respond to that? Uh, what, is our, what is our response as Christians when God says, no further, you know, do not enter? What do, how, do we, how do we respond with that? When I think about it, it, it really can be a disappointing uh, place. And I think that there's some life application lessons for us this morning, very practical ways. Uh, and, and for that reason, I'm super excited about going through this chapter and, 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 and asking God to say, you know, just reveal to us, you know, how to have the right heart uh, when we're disappointed that a door is closed. You know, how do, how do we do that? What are some life lessons uh, that can help us out? So I'm super excited for, uh, for all of us to, to spend some time in God's Word today and the potential that this message has for helping us to think, maybe think a little bit differently about uh, those moments when doors are closed. So with that in mind, let's jump in. Uh, let's jump in with key point number one. And then we'll unpack it, Acts chapter 16. Key point number one for us this morning is this. When God closes doors, when God closes doors, he's not closing opportunity. Rather, he is directing or even redirecting your path. A lot of times we think of it as, what, if we just pursued this door, if we could just get through here, it would open up, what, the opportunities, right? The opportunities would be uh, you know, so many if we could just get through this door. And a lot of times we see a closed door as missed opportunity. Uh, we see it as, well, you know, that, that opportunity is closed. It's not about closing the opportunity. It is about God redirecting us. It's about him giving direction to our path. So let's look at that. In Acts chapter 16, we're going to pick up at verse 1. Then he, this is referring to the apostle Paul, uh, came to Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there, named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed that his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. We're going to come back to that. After they had come to Mesha, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. 
So passing by Mesha, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, there's a lot going on in this passage. I mean, first of all, there's the circumcision. We'll save that for another day. Uh, but here's the thing. When I'm thinking about through this, you know, uh, thinking through this passage, some of the things that's going on there, uh, this whole thing about uh, heading toward Asia, Lynn, Lynn and I have had this conversation, right? We've looked at the map. We've talked about how this question is, why didn't it go that way, right? Well, here's our answer. Here's the answer, Lynn. Here's you know we've been you know we've been talking about why why did it all go this way? Why why did why didn't why didn't it go why didn't it go toward Asia? Well, in part we have we have the answer here. We're told that the Holy Spirit forbade them. We're not told how. We're not told how the Holy Spirit revealed that to them. Uh, we're not even told why the door was closed. We're just told two things. The Apostle Paul tried. He tried. He attempted. He was headed toward that direction. Went to Mesha. Was headed toward Asia. Uh, Asia Minor. And they tried and the Holy Spirit said what? Not now. Not now. So let's look at our key point again. Key point number one was this. It says when God closes doors, he is not closing opportunity. Rather, he is directing your path you know a lot of times we're often just disappointed when the doors are closed when 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 you know when we have some door that's been been closed to us especially um when we don't know why the door was closed you know i mean you're, you're pursuing something you're looking for something and then the door was closed and then you're going but why you know why, why i wanted i wanted to go through this and lord why and sometimes we're not privy to that information Sometimes we just don't know why God does certain things. Sometimes we just don't know why the door was closed to the Apostle Paul. I mean, he was headed that way. Here he was, second missionary journey. First one, remember, he went to Galatia, went to all of those different cities in that area. And his second missionary journey, he's going to head the other direction. Makes sense, right? I mean, let's go this way this time. Let's head toward Asia. But something happened. We're not given the information why. We're not told how. We're not told why. We're just told what? What happened? The Holy Spirit said, no, you're not going. So let me ask you this. Are you familiar with the cherubim in Scripture? Maybe, maybe the word, maybe, maybe not, uh, not know a whole lot about them, but at least are you familiar with the term cherubim? They're the winged angels. Not all uh, angels have wings, uh, contrary to popular culture. Um, most angels do not. But the cherubim do. The cherubim actually have wings. And these, these cherubim have a particular purpose. And we see them throughout Scripture. We see their first appearance in the book of Genesis. The first time that the cherubim show up. If you remember in the book of Genesis, you remember Adam and Eve had sinned. They had eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then, uh, they, because they had done that, they, were, they had rebelled against God that was sinful and therefore we're going to inherit their sinful nature but what's interesting is there were two trees of 
major significance in Genesis. The first one, they were told, tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of this one. This one is the tree of life. Eat from it all you want. And from the tree of life would give them sustenance, eternal sustenance. They were able to, to eat from this tree and they could live forever. But the moment that they sinned, God sent cherubim to prevent Adam and Eve from eating from the tree of life. Why? The cherubim were sent to guard that tree, and they were even sent with swords, you know, every direction. It was like, you are not coming near this tree. You're not going to eat of this tree. You ate of the one that God told you not to. This one he told you to, but the reason he told you to eat from this tree was because it gives you sustenance, not just for your physical life, but for eternal life. And they were like, you, you're not going to do it. Now, why is that important? When God sent the cherubim and said, come no further, stop, it was to protect Adam and Eve, who had, who had become sinful, and it was to prevent them from eating of a tree that would cause them to enter into eternity in their current sinful state. So therefore, God did what? He sent cherubim to, to prevent them, to protect them, to stop them, to keep them at bay, to prevent them from what? From eating of the tree and entering into eternity in their sinful state. So then the question is, you know, with, with all of that in mind, let's, let's consider some things. Why did God send the cherubim? Number one, to protect them, to prevent a sinful people from entering into eternity in their sinful state. The next question I have would be, will Adam and Eve ever eat of that tree again? Will they ever eat of the tree of life? And the answer is yes. The scriptures tell us that the tree of life has been planted in heaven. They removed it from the Garden of Eden. They planted it in heaven. And there it will be fruitful and we will be able to eat from that tree again. In fact, Adam and Eve will be able to eat from that tree again. But I want you to consider this. When will they be able to eat from it again? It is in God's timing and on God's terms. It's in God's timing and on his terms. Where else do we see cherubim? We see cherubim uh, on the Ark of the Covenant. It is this box. It's covered in gold. And on top of the box, they have two cherubim, two angels, and the wings come forward and it's a pretty incredible sight. What is the purpose of the cherubim? Come no further. Don't open this box. Stop. Where else do we see cherubim? You know the veil that, that hangs between, uh, the, the, uh, hangs at the entrance of the Holy of Holies? Inside the temple, inside, inside at the temple. So you, you head up inside the temple and there's this gigantic curtain. And in, behind the curtain is the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant is going to be. But on that curtain, they have embroidered, they have stitched, sewn into the, sewn into the curtain, images of the cherubim. Now, why did they do that? Because it is a, it's a do not enter sign. Cherubim do what? Stop. Don't go any farther. What was the purpose of that? 
for well, the same purpose with Adam and Eve. Stop, don't go any further. We don't want you to enter into eternity in your sinful state. What was the cherubim on, top, on the veil? What was its purpose for? Stop. Unholy people cannot come into the presence of a holy God. So there's a, the, the cherubim, every time we see them, it is a stop, come no further. Stop where you're at. Do not go this way. I am doing what? Protecting you. I am protecting you from causing harm to yourself. Now, here's the question. Will we ever be able to get beyond the veil? Will we ever get to the other side of that veil? Will the veil ever be, will ever come down? Well, we see that. The veil was rent. It was torn in two when? When Jesus was on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, that veil was torn from top to bottom, ripped in two. Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, first century, writes about the event. And he writes about the, the veil, and he describes the veil. Now, this is, not, this is not the type of curtain that you go to the Target and pick up. Uh, you know, a little thin thing that, you know, you, could, you, you, know, you wash it one time and it falls apart. This thing is massive, and it's thick. Josephus says, this thing is so thick, probably as much as four inches thick. He said, Josephus said it this way. He said, if you tied horses to each end of this curtain, I don't think they could tear it in two. Yeah, you put horses on this curtain and tell them, run and run in different directions. Curtain wouldn't even tear. But yet it was torn. It was torn in two from top to bottom while Jesus was on the cross. What does that mean? What is the significance? Cherubim, stop, come no further. Unholy people coming into the presence of God. We can't have that. You need to stop. You do what? Can we ever ex access a holy God? Yes, but it will be what? On God's terms and in God's timing. So every time we see God say, stop, come no further, don't go beyond here. This is, this is it. This is where we're going to stop. What is, what is he doing? He is saying, I'm not saying that you're never going to be able to enter into the Holy of Holies. You're never going to be able to enter into the presence of God. That will come, but it's going to be in my timing. It's going to be on my terms. It's going to be at the timing of Christ. It's going to be at the timing uh, that through Christ we have access. When are we going to eat of the tree again? God's timing and on his terms. So we see it over and over and over again that the cherubim are that do not enter sign. It's the keep out, come no further. It's the stopping point, a barrier. Do not come any closer. So let's consider some questions. You know, when we think about this, when God closes the door, when he closes the door to Paul, will he ever... Um, Will the gospel ever get to Asia? Well, the answer is yes. But it's going to be what? God's terms and in God's timing. What we can conclude is this, that Paul going there at that moment in that time, it was not God's time and it was not on God's terms. What did he do then? He closed the door. And when a door is closed, what are we forced to do? We now have to do what? go somewhere else we have to go in a different direction and I think sometimes we become so frustrated when a door is closed and we become so focused on the closed door that we don't realize that that closed door is God's protection 
and his redirection for us to go in a new direction, to go somewhere else and get us into alignment with where God wants us to go.